God's word, which will serve as the basis for our sermon today, comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 11, selected verses. This comes in about the middle of the Exodus, the Israelites' journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. This is after they have left Mount Sinai, receiving the word of the Lord, yet falling quickly into discontent and rebellion. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. The Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took of the spirit that was on Moses and put the spirit on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. They were, no, they were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. This is the word of our Lord. I'm a big choir guy. Ever since grade school, singing in choirs has been an important part of my life. Now, of all the best choirs that I've been a part of, they all have one thing in common. The director leaves when I join. Now, I choose to take this as just a coincidence and not any comment on my singing ability. But on three separate occasions, my peers and I have been the ones to say goodbye to the long-standing, beloved, and respected choir director and welcome in the new guy, which has given me ample opportunity to observe my classmates and I at our worst. You know how it is. You say goodbye to that beloved and respected boss, coach, director, pastor, teacher, and you say hello to the new guy, and there's no way that he can fill the old guy's shoes. Then every decision that he makes, every joke that they tell, every chance that they take to try to get to know you is under the closest scrutiny. And why is that? It's because you know what they need to do to be successful. And so when they don't do that, you can understand why they wouldn't be respected or get the same results, because they aren't doing what the old guy did. And so, of course, it's not gonna be the same. And when we narrow in on that scrutiny, and the scrutiny that often leads to disrespect and disobedience, what we find at the heart of it is jealousy. And we're not talking about jealousy like envy, wanting what somebody else has, but jealousy as this defensive feeling that we get when something that we love is threatened. A boyfriend is rightly jealous when he thinks that someone is trying to steal his girlfriend. God himself describes himself as jealous because he will do anything to defend and keep 
the people he loves. And so when somebody new comes into a place of authority that we used to respect, we can become jealous for the way that authority acts. Because we are used to one way, we consider it the right way, and when somebody new comes in and does it a different way, we get jealous for the authority that they have. And that is the jealousy that Joshua was feeling towards Eldad and Medad. Because they were receiving this authority from God, but Joshua thought that they were not qualified. In our own lives, we have plenty of people like that, who though they have gifts of God, we consider them unqualified. And so we are wrongly jealous for those gifts of God and overly defensive of them. However, the Bible tells us that God has given his gifts to whom he has given them, and that is all of us, God's people, just as Moses wished. And what is that authority used for? It's so that we can prophesy, so that all of God's people proclaim. And I know that was a bit of a long digression of thought, but we're going to pause on each one of those and focus on that theme, all God's people proclaim. Which is a marvelous fact. All God's people do proclaim, but that wasn't always the case. In the Old Testament, and for the children of Israel, God's word came through Moses, and he would share it with them. And who could deny that the power and the spirit of God was with Moses? The word of God turned Moses, that fearful shepherd cowering at the burning bush, into a liberator. From the blackened skies of Egypt and through the watery corridor of the Red Sea, what God said, Moses said, and that is exactly what happened. And then that word of God shaped Moses from a liberator into an administrator. And as marvelous as the miracles in Egypt happened, I think Moses had a much harder time seeing to the spiritual and physical needs of over a million people as they wandered in the desert. But at the word of God, bread rained from heaven Water burst from rocks, and clouds, fire, thunder, and earthquakes surrounded Mount Sinai as God spoke face to face with Moses. Who could deny that with Moses was the spirit and power of the word of God? And thank goodness, because what Moses had to put up with took godlike patience. Time and time again through the Exodus, we see God's people complaining and being rebellious and making Moses' life very difficult. That I'm sure sometimes he felt like a very tired dad with about a million grouchy kids in the backseat of the car on the world's worst ride home. And those grouchy kids were turning their discontent with their situation into anger against their leader. They were sick of the journey, they became sick of Moses, and then by association, they became sick of God, too. So the Lord is angry. Moses is desperate. And that is where our text picks up, that Moses is so distraught, he is so exhausted, that he wants to die. This is what Moses prays to God. He says, I cannot carry all of these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me if I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. 
And that's where our text picks up. The Lord gives his burdened and burnt out prophet the rest and the help that he needs. Moses, or the Lord tells Moses that he will give him helpers and that he will put his spirit on these helpers so that they can share some of that burden that Moses has. So Moses gathers up the 70 elders of Israel and he brings them around the tabernacle and God comes down and puts his spirit on the 70 elders and they prophesy. Now, my first thought, and I'm guessing it's yours too, is that these 70 elders started running through the camp, screaming at the top of their lungs, predicting the future to everybody, and everyone was probably like, what is going on here? However, we know from scripture that prophecy can come, can come in many forms. Peter writes in 2 Peter 1.12 that the message of the Bible itself is prophecy. He says, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though, spoke, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So prophecy is the word of God which comes to humans through the Holy Spirit. So rather than thinking that these 70 guys were running through the camp, spouting confusing and cryptic phrases about things yet to come, I think it's safer to say that they were proclaiming the glory of God. They began to share the word of God as it came to them through the Holy Spirit. All right, we see them. We see that they have the gift of God and the Holy Spirit on them. But what about those guys? Eldad and Medad weren't in the camp. They weren't, or they weren't at the tabernacle. They weren't with the rest of them. But the Spirit still came on them, and they prophesied too. And I think this happened to show that it was nothing but the Spirit and this gift of prophecy that made these 70 elders the leaders. And it's the same thing today, really. What makes a leader in God's church? Nothing but the Holy Spirit and the gift of God's word. And that is what Joshua did not understand. When he heard that Eldad and Medad were prophesying out in the camp and not with everybody else, he figured that they did not have the proper authority. And you can see why, because throughout Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, all of these books are full of examples of people being punished because they defied God's commands. However, the Spirit of God is not a command. Nowhere in the Bible does God demand that we or anyone else have his Spirit. Instead, he gives it to us willingly and richly as a gift of his love. So Joshua then, when he saw Eldad and Medad, was jealous of that gift. He was jealous that he, because he thought that gift went to people who were unqualified. It's similar to the way John felt in our gospel reading from Mark today. John saw somebody driving out demons, which you can only do by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and he thought that he was unqualified because that man was not a member of the 12 disciples. So Joshua and John were both jealous. And this jealousy was sinful because they thought that those guys, Eldad, Medad, and the man driving out demons, were unqualified because they did not match Joshua and John's expectations. They didn't look like what Joshua and John thought a servant of God should look like. They didn't act like it either. 
they didn't think that they were servants of God. They didn't think that they were doing the right thing and being Christians. And oof, that doesn't sound familiar. Who are the Eldads and Medads in our own life? Who do we look at and think, what are they doing? They need to stop, they don't belong here just because they are acting, sounding, or looking different than what we expect. How easy it is for us to look at something outward, be it age or gender, background, or even personality, and think, they're in the wrong. What are they doing? They shouldn't be doing that. And I think jealousy is especially common when it comes to Christian leaders. We hold our pastors and teachers and church leaders up to a very high standard, and that's fine. They hold the very word of God and they share it with others, and God himself sets high standards for them. But how often do our own human opinions and preferences slip into those standards? How often do we look at them and think, that's not what they're supposed to be doing. They're in the wrong, they need to change solely because they don't do what we're used to or what we expect. So often, our sinful pride puts our own criteria above God's. And it's just one more example of how easily sin can slip into our lives, our thoughts, and our relationships. And we see it in the way we feel, and it's especially easy to see with the way we feel towards those in authority. God has placed them there. God has given the, them the gifts to serve, and yet so often we think that we know better than God about what our authority is supposed to do, supposed to look like, supposed to act. And it's that sin, that jealousy, that can infect the heart and lead us to rebellion. And it's that same sinful rebellion that drove Moses to desire to die it's that same rebellion that drives a jealous God to justice. We know that God has every right to exile us from his people, to remove us from his presence. And yet, this God of ours looks at our rebellion. He looks at our failure to acknowledge and appreciate the gifts that he has given, and he decides that what we need is more gifts. And so he gives us his son, that stainless, sinless, perfect son, knowing full well that sinners like us would reject him, be jealous of him, and kill him. And yet Jesus walked obediently without jealousy or rebellion to that cross to die for our sins, an innocent sacrifice that washed us clean of all of our rebellion and sin. So that just as God saved the Israelites from slavery and certain death in, Israel, in uh, Egypt, so God also saves us from the slavery of sin and certain death in hell, and he saves us by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is the very word that we proclaim that is the word given to us by the Holy Spirit. And whatever words that, specific words that Eldad, Medad, and the 68 other elders were saying back on that day around the tabernacle, they were pointing to that same salvation. 
the Holy Spirit brought the words to them, so they prophesied, and those words that they spoke in turn carried with it the Holy Spirit. And that is what makes a Christian. The faith inspired by the Holy Spirit, given by the Holy Spirit, brought to us through God's word. And that is also what turns someone like Joshua, jealous of others, into someone like Moses, celebrating the gifts of everyone. God gives us his spirit so that we too will turn from our sin and become proclaimers of God's word. And he does this not just to the chosen few of his people. No, God has given his spirit to everyone. And so everyone proclaims. When Joshua was jealous, Moses rebuked him, and he showed him a better way. Moses desired that all of God's people would be prophets and that God would put his spirit on everyone. This wish echoes a prophecy made by the prophet Joel, and this is the predict the future kind. Here's what Joel says. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This prophecy was fulfilled in a very spectacular way on Pentecost, a few days after Jesus ascended into heaven. And what happened? The Holy Spirit came on God's believers in Jerusalem, men and women alike, not just the 12 disciples, and they all went out and began to speak in languages that they had never learned, and they shared the good news about what happened to Jesus. And it's the same way today. Ever since Pentecost, God has poured out his Holy Spirit on all of his people so that we all may proclaim what Jesus has done. And here's where our definition of prophecy comes into focus again. When the Spirit of God came on the 70 elders, they were not running through the camp predicting the future or speaking in confusing phrases that nobody could understand. No, they shared the word of God. Likewise, with all of the disciples and believers on Pentecost, they had this great miracle that they could speak in languages that they didn't know, but that's not the focus of Pentecost. The focus is on the fact that they were sharing God's word with everyone who could hear. And the Bible tells us that 5,000 or so people that day believed in God and were baptized. So all of God's people prophesy which means that all of God's people proclaim that Jesus Christ has died and risen to save us, to save everyone. And so, in turn, we proclaim to everyone. Now, what does that proclamation look like? For one, it looks like this. The Holy Spirit is on me, it's on Pastor Jeske, and it's on your teachers and pastors. And we proclaim much like the disciples did Back in the day, we get up in front of people and we get to tell them about the wonderful news that Jesus has died for our sins. But that's not the only way to proclaim. Proclamation looks like talking about God and God's word to each other, to your family and your friends, either in devotions or just in casual conversation. And it looks like talking to your coworkers about it and to strangers in line for coffee. One of the great things about the Holy Spirit is that he doesn't just put the words in our mouth, 
that's not the only way that we can point to the glory of God. Jesus said in our gospel that whoever gives a cup of water to someone else in God's name will not lose their reward. So it's these acts of service, it's behaving like a Christian that also points to the glory of God, being obedient, courteous, gentle, patient, having a good work ethic, all of these proclaim the glory of God. And I think we're definitely capable of offering a stranger a cup of water, and we're definitely capable of all those other services too. And I know that because we're all already doing them, which means that the Holy Spirit is on you. And that, that is pretty incredible. The exact same God who parted the waters of the Red Sea, who made bread rain from heaven for 40 years, is right here with us right now. And the miracles that he is performing among us are just as marvelous. He is saving our souls from sin, and he's giving us the word to share that salvation with others. God has made us his miracles. Sometimes we feel like a Joshua, and sometimes we feel like an Eldad or Medad. Sometimes we look at others and we think, what are they doing? Really, them for those gifts? Sometimes we look at ourselves and we think, really, me? We think that we've missed out on the main event, either because we've come too late, we didn't go to the right school, or we don't have the right personality. All of this, whether we're judging someone else or judging ourselves, is adhering to the wrong criteria. No, we adhere to God's criteria. We follow his requirements, and his only requirement is the Holy Spirit, which he has given to all of us, so that all of us might be prophets and proclaim God's word. When I think of the way that I treated my choir directors back in the day, I have to cringe. Like we often do with those in authority, I put my prerequisites or my criteria or the way that I thought that they should act as the more important thing, and so I disrespected them and did not value the gifts that God had given. So when I consider others who have the word of God to be unqualified for it, I speak by my sinful nature, but by God's spirit, by his grace and by his authority, we can and we do share in Moses' wish that all God's people proclaim, Eldad, Medad, and you. So, as God's people, proclaim, amen. This message was a production of St. Marcus Lutheran Church. For similar content, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or our YouTube channel. For more information about how to support our urban gospel ministry in Milwaukee, please visit stmarcus.org.